Well, as you know, we've been taking the last several weeks to focus our attention on the latter part of the Ephesians uh, chapter 6 in a series that's been entitled Holy Armor, Standing Firm Against Satan's Schemes. And as Billy said, I've got the privilege this morning of concluding our series. So we're going to be looking at uh, Ephesians 6 chapter 18. Sorry, not chapter 18. There's not 18 chapters in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. So if you can turn to your, in your Bibles there. Um, so we're going to be studying uh, verses 18 through 20. But in studying this passage this week, I had a little trouble trying to figure out how best to introduce this message and this passage. You know, normally we will do a quick recap to give a little context, and then we'll read the text for the morning, and then we usually pray, and then the sermon kind of begins at that point. But what's complicated things for me this week a little bit is that verse 18 it actually picks up in the middle of a sentence that was started several verses earlier. So it didn't really make sense to start right on verse 18 with the reading of the passage. And I guess we could start reading at verse 16, which is where the sentence usually, I mean, actually begins. But then I thought, why don't we just take a couple extra minutes and read the entire passage again? I mean, you know, you love God's word. I love God's word. Can't be any harm in a little extra review, right? So, uh, so we're going to start on, in, back in verse 10. And we're just going to read this whole passage again. Uh, so let's do that, from starting in verse 10. This is God's holy word. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That, my word, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we ask for your help this morning. We, we want to benefit from this passage of scripture. Um, God, but, but we come bringing all kinds of distractions and concerns and fears and worries and uh, things that we're carrying on our heart, Lord. So, so would you comfort us now? Um, would you arrest our attention, Lord, so we can hear you preach to us, preach your word to us? Uh, Lord, and, and would you ready the soil of our hearts so that we can receive this preached word? Um, give us faith to hear the word as it's preached, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. Okay, so let's first begin with a quick recap so that, Lord willing, when we get to verse 18, we'll have a fresh grasp on all that Paul has been saying before then. If you remember, a few weeks ago, Billy began us in verse 10, where Paul instructs us to be strong in the Lord, not our own strength, but the strength of his might. 
In verse 11, Paul introduced us to this analogy of a soldier, completely decked out in what God calls the armor of God, or Paul calls the armor of God, and in which Paul assures us will make us able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Then in verse 12, Paul pauses, though, to make sure that we've got a good understanding of just what kind of battle we're fighting, because it requires a certain kind of armor. You wouldn't want to show up to play paintball in a bathing suit. And a pickup truck full of water balloons won't help you in a grenade fight. So Paul knows that a spiritual battle, it needs spiritual armor and spiritual weapons. And this is definitely no earthly battle. Paul tells us that we're up against otherworldly rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness. And if that isn't terrifying enough, he adds to the list the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's not a pretty picture. To be honest, it seems pretty hopeless. Except that Paul has some secret special intelligence to share with us. And in verse 13, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Do you have any youth with us this morning? You guys remember uh, in youth a couple weeks ago what we said about the word therefore? What are you supposed to do when you come up to the word therefore? Anybody remember? Nobody remembers? Or are you too scared to say? That's okay. When, when we see the word therefore, we're supposed to see what it's there for. Remember that? Uh, So Paul says, therefore, meaning because this battle is happening, because a war is raging, because this isn't an earthly war, but one that is being fought on a cosmic stage, therefore, Paul says, take up the whole armor of God. Not just a few of the lightest, easiest pieces to carry, not just the shiny weapons that will impress your Instagram followers. No, Paul says, if you're going to withstand the evil day and do all you can to stand firm, you are going to need the whole wardrobe. And in case you missed it, the first three times, in verse 14, Paul says it again, stand, therefore. He knows that this will be an extremely difficult battle. He knows how hard it will be to stand. He knows we will be tempted to sit, or roll over, or play dead, or run away with our arms flailing, screaming like little schoolgirls. No offense to the little schoolgirls with us. You're supposed to do that as schoolgirls. This is going to be a ruthless, scary fight. So four times Paul encourages us to stand. And he goes on to suggest a few more items we should take with us into this battle. Hugh taught on these a couple of weeks ago. The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And in verse 15, shoes for your feet, which is a piece of the armor that I have a fresh appreciation for now that I've discovered West Texas goat head stickers. Yeah, so... You know, but these, these are not just any old Skechers or Kenneth Cole loafers. These are shoes of a heavenly quality, shoes that will make us ready to deliver the gospel of peace to those we encounter on a battlefield who desperately need it. Then we get to verse 16, and Paul begins with the preposition, in all circumstances. It's a reminder to us that this battle is being fought at all times. It's a constant battle with opposition meeting us in every situation, at every time of day, in every season of our lives. Paul says, in all circumstances, we can be sure the enemy is scheming, lurking, tempting, opposing, attacking, which is why he admonishes us to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, he says. And did you see the parallel there? In all circumstances, because of the power of Christ to defeat the power of sin and Satan, we can extinguish all attacks of the, of the evil one. Praise God. Lastly, we get to verse 17, which Alan just covered last week, where Paul finishes out the wardrobe specifications with encouragements to take, us both, to take with us both the helmet of salvation to protect our minds and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then, whew. 
At last, we can finally see the picture that Paul has been painting for us over the last several verses and several weeks as we've been studying it. Do you have this picture in your mind? Can you picture yourself as a soldier decked out in military garb with spiritual armor covering your torso and your feet and a helmet protecting your head and you're holding a shield and a sword? Can, can you see that? I mean, yeah, look at, look at you. I mean, you're like a little, little soldier ready for battle. You might be thinking, okay, Paul, you know, tell us what, what we need to do now. Give me some kind of lessons on how to defend myself with all this stuff. Tell me how I should start swinging and slicing and deflecting and dodging. Let's, let's do this. Just, just hang on there a second, cowboy. Remember, Paul, he wasn't finished with his sentence. Look at the beginning of verse 18. Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Does that strike you as an odd instruction to find next? Pray. That's what we're supposed to do, Paul. Get down on our knees and pray. Do you know how awkward that will be dressed in all this metal? <laughs> how am I supposed to fold my hands while holding a shield? And wait a minute, didn't, didn't you just tell us to stand? Yeah, yeah, you did. You said to stand firm. Don't you know that kneeling is not the same as standing, Paul? It's actually kind of the complete opposite, really. People don't kneel when they want to fight, Paul. They, they stand. People kneel when they want to surrender. It's an understandable hesitation. <laughs> Kneeling is a vulnerable position, but we have to remember, this is Yahweh's kingdom. We're playing by his rules, and those rules don't follow natural logic. They come from a supernatural Lord, so why should they? In vintage Yahweh style, what looks like a position of weakness and vulnerability to our natural eyes is actually a position of great supernatural strength. And that's, I think, the point of our passage this morning that Paul's trying to make. You can see it in your notes. This is the main point. We will never stand firm in battle until we kneel before the Lord in prayer. Paul knows that if we're ever to properly stand firm against the schemes of the devil, if we're ever to benefit from the protection of the armor of God, if we're ever to effectively wield the weapons of spiritual warfare, we must first be a people who regularly and wholeheartedly entrust themselves to God in prayer. So starting in verse 18, Paul's going to give us four ways that we can pray. He's going to say we need to pray at all times in the Spirit. We need to pray with variety. We need to pray for alertness. And we need to pray for the saints to persevere. And so we'll look at each one of those. But first, Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit. The beginning of verse 18. He has in mind here an all-of-life kind of praying. It's not occasional or sporadic. Remember the beginning of this sentence that we're kind of jumping into the middle of. It's at the top of verse 16. Prayer should take place in all circumstances, verse 16 says. So in all circumstances. That means when you wake up in the morning, when you're washing your hair in the shower, when you're reading God's word, when you sit down to eat a meal, when you get cut off in traffic, when your kid calls home sick from school, when you ace your math test, when you can't seem to make ends meet, when you stub your toe in the doorway, when you're criticized at work for taking a stand for your faith, when you're stuck in a fight with your sibling over something that just really doesn't matter, when you're tempted to let your emotions rage over news headlines, when you've given an opportunity, when you're given an opportunity to help your neighbor in crisis, when you have to correct your child for what feels like the billionth time, when you hear of a relative who unexpectedly passed away, or when your best friend gets pregnant but then miscarries, 
when you finally get to lay your head on your pillow at night, when you're awakened in the middle of the night by a terrible dream, Paul says, in all circumstances, pray at all times. So that's when we are to pray, but how are we to pray? And Paul tells us, pray at all times in the Spirit. You might be wondering if Paul is referring to praying in tongues or praying in some sort of spirit-enabled but humanly not recognizable language. And there are definitely places in Scripture where Paul does teach about that very thing. But this, I don't think, is what Paul's talking about here. I think what Paul is saying here, and and this might seem a little bit like a no-brainer, but prayer, I think Paul's saying prayer is a spiritual activity. We aren't supposed to pray in a naturally-minded way as if to rely on our own human intellect or intuition or power with no regard for the Spirit's help and power, our prayer, praying must be done with the help of and in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's not really different from the way Scripture instructs the Christian to live in every other category of life. Think about Galatians 5.16, it says, walk in the Spirit. Romans 8.13, put to death the deeds of the body in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, confess Jesus as Lord in the Spirit. Philippians 3, 3, worship in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 16, give thanks in the Spirit. Galatians 6, 1, restore a wayward brother in the Spirit. So what Paul's saying is, Christian, when you pray, pray in and by the same Spirit that empowers you to live out all the other aspects of your Christian life. And how do you do that, you may ask Paul. Well, praying in the Spirit means asking for and allowing the Spirit of God to shape and influence the, uh, and empower and, and guide your prayers as you pray. So the way we could do that is by asking the Holy Spirit to help you surrender your will and your desires and your future and your fears to God. You can ask the Holy Spirit to give you, your, to give you God's heart and God's mind and God's will for things that you're facing in your life. You can ask the Holy Spirit to help you see your sin and confess your sin and repent of your sin. You can ask the Holy Spirit to give you the power to obey God. And you can ask the Holy Spirit to help you remember and believe all of God's promises, the ones that he promises to strengthen and sustain you, to equip and empower you, to protect and provide for you. So so Paul's telling us, in all circumstances, take up your armor as you pray. Praying at all times in the Spirit, that's literally the way we put on the armor. Have you thought about that? I don't know if any of the other guys over the past weeks have actually said it, but but hopefully none of you have been waiting around for us to tell you where you can go buy a breastplate. (laughs) There isn't physical armor or actual weapons that you're supposed to find and put on. No, Christian, you put on the whole armor of God by praying it on. You pray it on by pressing the truth of God's word down deep into your soul. You pray it on by pleading Christ's righteousness to be applied to you. You pray it on by praising the faithfulness and faithful works of Yahweh. You pray it on by applying and reapplying the finished work of Jesus to redeem you. And you pray it on by protecting yourself with the sword of the Spirit, which is the very word of God. How do you put on the armor of God? You pray it on. Do you pray like this? Maybe you feel too weak to pray. Or maybe you often don't know what to pray or how to pray. You just wish someone could teach you. And this is a common experience for God's people. 
In fact, in his, in his book entitled Prayer, John Anwuchekwa, I don't know if I'm saying that right, uh, but John says the only record in Scripture of the disciples ever asking Jesus to teach them something was when they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. I, th- I thought that was fascinating. I hadn't thought about that before. I mean, I, I'm thinking of what I would have asked Jesus, you know, how to turn water into wine, how to walk on water, how to raise someone from the dead. I mean, of all the things that they got to see Jesus do, all the miracles they watched him perform, the only time they thought to ask him to explain how to do something was to ask him how to pray. The next closest they got was in Mark 9 when they failed to cast out a demon. But even there, they didn't come back to Jesus and ask him to give them step-by-step instructions for how to do it right the next time. They just wondered, why couldn't we? So this should put us at ease, I think. Apparently, even walking around with Jesus in the flesh didn't seem to give the disciples much of an edge over us. <laughs> and if you're here saying, I don't, I don't know how to pray. I, I've never been good at praying. I, I don't feel like praying. Praying is too hard. Where do I even begin? I think we're in good company. But why is it that so many of us struggle to experience a significant life of prayer? Why is that? I think Mr. Piper can help us, but fair warning, this quote might sting a little. Just giving you a heads up. It stung me as I read it. Um, But listen to this quote by John Piper. It'll be up here on the screen. Unless I'm badly mistaken, one of the main reasons so many of God's children don't have a significant life of prayer is not so much that we don't want to, but that we don't plan to. If you want to take a four-week vacation... You don't just get up one summer morning and say, hey, let's go today. You won't have anything ready. You won't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. But that is how many of us treat prayer. We get up day after day and realize that significant times of prayer should be part of our life, but nothing's ever ready. We don't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. No time, no place, no procedure. And all we know that the opposite of planning is and we all know, sorry, and we all know that the opposite of planning is not a wonderful flow of deep, spontaneous experiences in prayer. The opposite of planning is the rut. If you don't plan a vacation, you'll probably stay home and just watch TV. The natural, unplanned flow of spiritual life sinks to the lowest ebb of vitality. That just means when you don't do what you should do and you just let kind of life do whatever it's going to do, it's, it's not going to give you very much life. The natural unplanned flow of spiritual life, it sinks to the lowest ebb of vitality. There is a race to be run and a fight to be fought. If you want renewal in your life of prayer, you must plan to see it. Therefore, my simple exhortation is this. Let us take time this very day to rethink our priorities and how prayer fits in. Make some new resolve. Try some new venture with God. Set a time. Set a place. Choose a portion of scripture to guide you. Don't be tyrannized by the press of busy days. We all need mid-course corrections. Make this a day of turning to prayer for the glory of God and for the fullness of your joy. Well, thank you, Mr. Piper, for that. I think some of us, maybe many of us, we need to hear this admonishment. I know I did. And do. We don't have a vibrant prayer life because we haven't prioritized prayer. And that means we are vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. So if that's you this morning, heed Mr. Piper's encouragement and put a plan in place today. When you get home this afternoon, 
Don't wait, hoping one day you'll, you'll maybe feel like it. The soldier going into battle probably doesn't feel like he wants to wear a helmet on his head. He probably doesn't enjoy carrying a massive shield and sword everywhere he goes, but he puts it on because without it, he's vulnerable to attack. And this is the same for us with prayer. We are vulnerable if we are not making prayer a very vibrant part of our lives. So please, don't, don't be condemned or discouraged by that quote. Um, you know, if you've been postured in the recent past in a way that has not included prayer to the degree that you feel like the Lord is telling you it should be, then, then trust that he's got grace for you today to help you to put a plan in place. He wants us to be people who pray. So trust him for that. Make a course correction. Begin praying on your armor. But maybe there are others of us here saying, I, I really do, I want to pray. I know that I should pray. I've tried to pray. But praying, is, it's, it's too hard. Or, or I'm, I'm too sad, or I'm too hurt. I'm too angry to pray. And I realize that might be some of you here this morning. But flip over to Romans chapter 8 for a second. Keep your finger in Ephesians because we'll go back there. But let's go over to Romans chapter 8 and look in verse 26. It's probably a familiar passage. But this is what it says. It says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Look, look, look carefully at verse 27 again. Just read that slowly. The Spirit who searches hearts and who knows what is the mind of the Spirit. That Spirit, this is what He is doing. He is interceding for the saints. That's us. And this is the best part. He's interceding according to the will of God. Isn't that an incredible promise for us? When you are unsure what to pray, or unsure how best to pray, or when you are so weak in strength or health to even form words into prayers, or so overwhelmed with pain and sorrow that you can only ugly cry, the Spirit will intercede for you. What comforting news to us. It should give us great confidence to posture ourselves before the Lord in prayer, even when we feel like we can't. We can, and we must pray at all times. And we can and must pray in the Spirit, Paul says, because, our main point, we will never stand firm in battle until we kneel before the Lord in prayer. Paul goes on to say, for our second point, that we're to pray with all prayer and supplication. I kind of said that as pray with variety. Uh, but supplication, that's a fancy word for a certain kind of prayer. Uh, I looked that up. It said a humble plea. For God to answer a particular request. So a way that I always think about supplication just helps me is to think of asking God to supply something. Supplication. Uh, but praying with all prayer, that's just another way of saying to pray in all kinds of ways. And for all sorts of things and with a variety of prayers. And I think it's, it's logical to think that if we're praying at all times in the Spirit, our first point, then it's likely a variety of prayers will be overflowing and spilling out of our hearts. I mean, we see examples all throughout Scripture of God's people praying all kinds of prayers. Moses 
offered up a prayer as a song after the Lord led the Israelites out of the Egyptian rule. Samson cried out to the Lord to give him one last dosage of strength before knocking over the Philistine temple. Isaiah fell on his face before the Lord, crying out in prayer and in repentance, saying, Woe is me, for I am undone. The book of Psalms is filled with prayers of confession and sorrow and lament. Daniel had a regular time and place that he prayed each day, three times a day. Jesus himself, even as he hung, dying on the cross, asked the Father in prayer to show mercy to the very ones who were crucifying him. Throughout the Gospels and in the book of Acts, we see disciples and apostles asking God to provide healing and protection and provision and for the advancement of the good news of the gospel into all the world. And even all the way into the book of Revelation, at the end of time, the 24 elders are bowing before the Lamb in worship and prayer, saying, worthy is the Lamb who is slain. There's all kinds of ways that we see God's people praying. What about you? If you were to do a quick assessment of your prayer habits, what would you find? I listed some questions there in your notes that you can take before the Lord uh, this week and just ask Him. Let, let this kind of assess your soul. But some of those questions are this. Is prayer a priority in your life? Are you intentional in planning time to pray? Do you have a regular time and place that you pray? When you pray, what kinds of prayers do you most tend to? Do you tend to pray silent meditative prayers or do you usually only pray out loud? Do you always stick to a plan when you pray? Or do you sometimes wait on the Spirit to direct your thoughts, to pray spontaneously for something you've just read in God's Word, or for whatever might bubble up from within your heart as you meditate on Him? Do you ever sing your prayers? Or write your prayers down? Do you pray in the morning? Or do you pray at night? Do you pray for extended periods of time or do you offer up prayers in more of a continuous kind of conversation with God throughout the day? Do your prayers tend to be thankful or are they mostly petitions? Do you generally pray prayers asking God to do things in the future or do your prayers tend to be filled with thanking God for what he's done in the past? These questions aren't meant to condemn or discourage or to, to say that one's right and the other's wrong. They're just meant to hopefully help us to see there are a variety of ways that we can pray as Christians and that we should be praying. And, and it also shows us that because there's such a variety, probably every one of us in this room has room to grow in the discipline of prayer. Whether we feel like we are growing in grace as it pertains to a healthy, vibrant prayer life or maybe we need to take the first step toward a purposeful prayer life, there's always room for us to grow to grow in our skillfulness in praying, to grow in aligning our prayers with God's word and his heart, and with the frequency and longevity with which we pray, and certainly in the passion and fervency we have for God's glory. All these are ways that we can be growing in our prayer lives. Paul says it's crucial to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication because, again, our main point, we'll never stand firm in battle until we kneel before the Lord in prayer. And then Paul goes on next to say, to that end, keep alert. It's the next couple of words in chapter 18, I mean, verse 18. To that end, keep alert. So the phrase, to that end, that means for that purpose, or with that goal in mind, or in order for that to be accomplished. So, I think the question we need to ask is, okay, Paul, so to what end are you warning us to keep alert? And I think 
I think Paul would say, well, it's connected to everything I've been telling you up until now. You need to keep yourself alert because if you don't, you aren't going to pray. And if you don't pray, then you're not going to be clothed in the armor that God wants to protect you with. And if you're not clothed in the armor of God, you're not going to stand firm against the enemy. So alertness and prayerfulness, they're, they're interdependent. They depend on each other. And now from my own experience, alertness and prayerfulness, they aren't always the best of friends, especially in the morning. Is this your experience? Uh, you know, I, I don't know why this is, but it just seems like sitting down to pray is the equivalent to taking a prescription strength sleeping pill. That's just the way it feels like when, I, when I'm like resolved, I'm going to go and pray. It's like I just, this, this thing like comes over me and I like want to go to sleep. The temptation, the temptation to doze off during prayer, it's such can be such a powerful force. Uh, But it gives me comfort to know that the disciples struggled with this too. They had the same problem with prayer-induced drowsiness. (laughs) In in Mark chapter 14, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus, he had taken his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He gave them what seemed like a simple command, you know, remain here and watch or, or keep awake. And then Jesus went a little further into the garden to pray. Then he comes back about an hour later, and what does he find them doing? They're They're sleeping. Now, if it were me, if, if Jesus, if, if I were Jesus, that's a bad thing, but if I were Jesus, uh, and I had come back to find these guys all snuggled up under some tree when I was sweating blood over in the next orchard, I, I might have lost it on them. And that's just one of the many reasons you should be glad that I'm not Jesus. <laughs> but just, just listen to how Jesus, though, responded to these, these disciples of his. He, he asks, Simon, are you asleep? It's like, like, you already knew that, Jesus. Why'd you ask him that question? Uh, and Jesus says, could you, could you not watch or keep awake like one hour? That's so, so kind and patient. Like, I just wouldn't have been that way. Uh, but then Jesus gives them a gracious but sobering warning. He says, watch, or, or, or like we're saying, what Paul's saying, keep alert and pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus himself said, watch and pray. He's telling his disciples, watch and pray. Alertness and prayerfulness. It's essentially what Paul has been saying to us. Pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, so that you can continue to pray, keep alert or keep watch with all perseverance, making supplication. Jesus and Paul, they have the same message. Watch and pray because we will never stand firm in battle until we kneel before the Lord in prayer. So we've got to watch and we've got to pray. And that brings us to our final point. Paul's told us we're to pray at all times in the spirit. We're to pray with variety. We're to pray for alertness. And lastly, Paul tells us we are to pray for the saints to persevere. Look at the end of verse 18. Paul encourages the Ephesians to be making supplication for all the saints. Charles Hodge, I think that's how you say it, has some helpful thoughts on this from his commentary on Ephesians. This is what Charles says. The conflict of which the apostle has been speaking, meaning this this cosmic war that we're in, the conflict of which the apostle has been speaking is not merely a single combat between the individual Christian and Satan, but also... so. Also, it's a war between the people of God and the powers of darkness. No soldier entering battle prays for himself alone, but for all his fellow soldiers also. They form one army, and the success of one is the success of all. 
In like manner, Christians are united as one army and therefore have a common cause. And each must pray for all. Paul knows the Christian battle, it's not simply a single round boxing match. We're engaged in our own infinity war, for all you Avenger people out there. It's a war that spans across continents and is fought in spiritual dimensions and has been raging since Adam's sin in the garden. It's a war in which every follower of Christ has been commissioned to fight. Look around this room. We, we're in this battle together. And not just we, Christians here at SGC this morning, but every believer who bears the name of Christ here in Midland and throughout Texas and all over the United States and across this entire planet. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who live in Mexico and Nepal and Jamaica and the Philippines. Some of those are saints we know, but most of those we'll never meet. But they are fighting side by side with us, empowered by the same Holy Spirit and mobilized against a common enemy. And that enemy we face, he's much more evil than Thanos. He doesn't want to destroy half the population. He knows he's going to lose the battle, and he will do everything in his limited power to take down as many as he can before he's defeated. But praise be to God for our captain, Jesus Christ, our infinitely strong, infinitely wise, and infinitely undefeatable Lord and Savior. It's with the strength that he supplies that we press on together toward the same goal, to make his glory known and to see his kingdom come here on earth. Each of us are engaged in this war together. Whether you are aware of that or not this morning, whether you realize that or not. And what does Paul tell us that we need most from one another as we engage in this war? He says, prayer. Because some of us, like Paul himself, we are being strongly opposed by the enemy. Some of you here in this room, but look what Paul says in verse 19 and 20. He, he makes a, a quick request, uh, kind of like an application of this admonition to pray, to, to make supplication for all the saints. He says, look at verse 19, and also for me. So make supplication for all the saints and also for me. And it just sounds like you can hear Paul saying this. It's so personal. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So there's a need, he's saying. I need, I need a mouth that is bold and that speaks the mystery of the gospel. So I need boldness and clarity, courage and clarity. And then he keeps, saying, keeps going in verse 20, for which, this mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. It's been said that Paul is writing this from prison. So he says, I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's encouraged us to pray for all the saints, but then he adds this request to pray specifically for him because he needed prayer for clarity and for courage. Those were the needs that Paul had. But some of us here in this room, we need prayer because we're weary. Some of us are on the front lines and are in need of reinforcements. Some of us have been deeply wounded and need the Spirit's healing touch. Some of us, we're so depressed, we're afraid we aren't going to make it. I read a story about a man named Joseph Scriven, who lived a pretty challenging life. 
Growing up, he had wanted to be in the military, but because of his poor health, he was forced to give up that dream. Then his fiance, uh, on the night before their wedding, drowned in a lake. So that was a devastating blow. And so he moved to Ontario just to get away from it all and became a school teacher. But then his second bride-to-be died after a short sickness before they were able to be married. And then, you know, he struggled all his life with poor health. So one day while a neighbor was keeping Mr. Scriven company during a sickness, like a season of sickness, uh, the neighbor was looking at some papers on his desk and happened upon this manuscript. Uh, and the neighbor read this manuscript and was so moved by what he read, he asked Mr. Scriven who had written it. And Mr. Scriven said that actually he himself had composed the, the lyrics to encourage his mother who herself was in a time of special sorrow, but hadn't intended for anyone else to ever really see the lyrics. And these lyrics, they were what became the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, which was published back in 1855. I just wanted to read some of those lyrics to us. Uh, listen, listen to this. Think about Mr. Scriven's life. Think about all that Paul has been telling us as we listen to these lyrics. What a friend... Actually, before I start that, um, I was talking with Josh uh, Graves this week about this song and asking if he could do it, and um, you know, he sent me a version of the song that was really like lighthearted and happy and giddy, and I was like, that, I don't really think that's the way that Mr. Scriven would have wanted to sing this song, but I think sadly that a lot of the ways that we probably have heard this song has been with a kind of fun, like, oh, Jesus is a bud, he's a friend, what a friend we have in Jesus. Um, but but I, I just don't think that's the way that this was intended to be um, heard and sung. But let's, let's listen to this. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden? Cumbered with a load of care. Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. We will never stand firm in battle until we kneel before the Lord in prayer. So let's be a, let's be a church that prays. I'm going to pray for us, but as I'm praying, Josh, you can go ahead and come up, and, um, and I want to invite Miss Becky and Kenzie, I think, is, who's going to be praying for us this morning. As we're singing, they're going to be up here in the front. If anybody wants to just come and respond to the Lord, it, maybe, maybe the Spirit has kind of um, ruffled your feathers a little bit, your spiritual prayer feathers, <laughs> uh, and there's some work that you need to do with Him. Don't, don't wait till later. Do that now. Come, if, if you need to confess something to the Lord, if you need to repent of a way of life that you've been living without 
regard to prayer like we've been called to from this passage. Come, ask the Lord. See, see Jesus in his gracious patience saying, come, come, watch and pray. Um, so yeah, let's pray and then, then we'll sing, but feel free to come up and pray with any of these ladies. Uh, Lord, we are, we are always, God, grateful for your word. Always, Lord. Lord, there's nothing that your word doesn't address. There is nothing that, uh, no, no, no circumstance. So in, in all the circumstances that we face in our life, there's nothing that your word is not sufficient for. Lord, so I thank you for this, this moment together, this, this preaching moment that we've had together to hear your word. Lord, I pray that, that your spirit would have gone forth to us, Lord, and, and prodded us appropriately. Lord, not so that we can walk out of this building with our tails between our legs in shame, Lord, but so that we could see the invitation that you were giving to your people this morning, the gracious alert, the gracious awakening that you're saying, hey, hey, there's a battle that you are engaged in, church. And if you're not praying, you're not prepared. Lord, so help us, God. We want, we want to respond. Lord, I, I pray that you would help every man, every woman, every young person who is able to understand what's been preached this morning. Lord, help us to respond to your word. Lord, not out of fear, not out of condemnation, Lord, but out of faith and hope in you that we can change and that we can experience, like, like Piper said, for the, the glory of God and the joy of his people, that we would be a church who prays. Lord, so as we sing Mr. Scriven's song, and as we think about our own lives, and as we commit to running to you and everything to prayer, Lord, would you be adored? Would you be worshiped? Lord, and would you give us faith to trust you and to obey you and to spend our lives in prayer devoted to you? In your name we pray. Amen.